Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On our channel, you can get podcasts, interviews and series on all sorts of subjects from boxing and MMA, football, mental health, conspiracy theories, films and TV and much more. We've got our exclusive uh, series, which is uh, My Story is one of them, where we take uh, different people through their lives and careers. We've had uh, a couple of different characters in there. We've had former WBO world champion Robbie Regan, uh, former controversial cricketer Chris Lewis, uh, the actor who used to play Lofty in EastEnders, uh, and he's also done a hell of a lot of other stuff, as, uh, as well as former Scotland international Kevin McNaughton. And uh, we've got a couple of crackers for, the, for that series coming up. And then, of course, we've got Unscripted Uncensored, which is where I take my, myself and my guest and we put ourselves completely in the hands of you, the people. And uh, every question, every subject which we cover is sent in by either viewers of Ace Podcast Nation or by fans of the guests. We've had some, uh, some cracking shows. They go off the rails quick, but they're always uh, very entertaining. We've had uh, lots of Cage Warriors fighters, UFC guys, uh, Bellator, a few other, a couple of boxers. We had Cody Davis. We had uh, Gavin Gwynn, uh, a couple of actors. Paddy the Baddy Pimblet came on as well. And, uh, of course, we had the UK indie band, The Crooks, as well. Uh, you can get all those shows and uh, a whole lot more at uh, youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Uh, if you can subscribe and click the bell, you'll get notifications. And uh, when you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you get every single show that we drop or series. Uh, you'll get that first by subscribing to the YouTube channel. And uh, of course, we release everything in audio, where audio versions as well at all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, far too many for me to name now. But uh, you can find them in the links on our social media profiles. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, all, in, all the links are in the description for this episode. Uh, so today we're going to talk a bit of, bit of boxing, a bit of fighting, a bit of everything really. Uh, my guest is uh, the operations manager at S-Jam Boxing, uh, and it's Mr. Shane Watson. Welcome Shane, how are you my friend? Uh, very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to it. And I appreciate also, I'll just quickly say, like I, yeah, we were supposed to do this last week and I had to reschedule. Uh, so I appreciate your patience. But, uh, Don't be silly anytime, man. It's great to be on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's strange times, mate. Strange times, isn't it? It's uh, just this lockdown seems to be going on forever. I mean, I'm assuming you're based up somewhere in England, but like um, here in Wales, we, uh, they're basically, we're still under lockdown. So we haven't, uh, where Boris has given the go-ahead to go back to normal, uh, the Welsh government is still imposing the same uh, lockdown procedures. So we're still pretty much in the same boat we have been for weeks. Um, how has lockdown been, you know, for you generally? Has it been, you know, obviously difficult, but how has it been from a life working point of view? Um, so straight in, in the sense that um, we actually hit probably our best time that we were doing at the at that at that at current time, and in the sense that we had um, Joe Joyce against Daniel Dubois, which was going to be the biggest fight we had to put on um, at that time. It was going to sell out the O2, do massive pay per view figures. Everyone was excited about it. Even people who ain't boxing fans were, were excited for it. Um, then we rescheduled the date, which obviously is not going to happen again because we're not going to be ready for the um, 11th of July. But um, all saying that, a lot of companies and boxing promotional and managerial companies aren't going to be able to get out of this the same way that they entered it. And that, in a sad way for some people, but that also presents an opportunity for others to um, jump on. And, that, and that's what you have to do. You have to relish and keep working hard, even when times like this are very tough and come out the other end better and a bigger person. And that's, and that's what I'm doing, really. Just learn from the experience. And taking things on board and seeing what other mistakes other people are making, make sure I don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's all you can do is you. At the end of the day, it's happening. You can't get away. You can't get away from it. So you've got to just uh, you've got to deal with it. You've got to adapt. And it's it is unfortunately it's a case of the companies or the people who don't adapt are the ones who may fall to the wayside, which obviously is infor- You know, it's unfortunate. Um, I was only saying to um, Andy. Campbell yesterday was the co-host on the, the foot, our football live show that like as weird as, as as difficult as lockdown has been you know on a personal point of view with the kids and the, the family and all this sort of thing from a from a podcast network point of view it's been really good because I've been able to get hold of people and get people on my shows that may have been a bit more elusive or a bit more difficult to get on without the lockdown but because they're at home yeah. they want to they want to you know, use up an hour here and there or, or have a chat with people. So it's, I've been quite fortunate. So I've been trying, like from my point of view, I've just tried to, you know, try and make the most of it. At the end of the day, it's happening. So I'll with it. Yeah, I mean, certain people, this is good. I mean, people, more people are getting takeaways and things like that. So certain, certain companies and businesses as well. Supermarkets are booming. Everything. So certain, certain people will fold and certain people will benefit. And that's just the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, I think I've, um, I reckon I've lost about a stone in weight from not being able to get a takeaway, which is uh, yeah. it's ultimately a good thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so as I mentioned, you're um, the operations manager for S-Jam uh, Boxing. So just for people who, you know, uh, maybe don't know what that is, don't follow boxing, because I know, you know, we do podcasts on everything. So some people will be watching this. They won't have a clue, you know, what S-Jam is. If you first tell us what um, what is S Jam Boxing? S Jam Boxing is a boxing managerial company that um, looks at um, elite fighters and helps them in any way that they can, and that would go from sponsorship, fight dates, 
um, contracts, um, even things in their personal life as well, and um, advertisement and things like that as well. So we're just a box managerial company that uh, managed its fighters, and um, well, also another word you could probably use is boxing agents, and this does and helps them in their every need really, and that's just what they do. So, I mean, it's just strictly with elite fighters that like we've got Olympians and all sorts of like elite amateurs that are now obviously elite professionals in the uh, stable. And that's pretty much what we do really. But it, it varies all the time, honestly. You'll find, I'll find myself in some of the weirdest jobs or stuff and fight nights, I swear to you. And I'm like, what is this? You just wouldn't think it is what you signed up to, but it's great, man. It's the most exciting and crazy thing to ever be involved in. Because before this, I was a, I was a sports journalist. Okay. So I've got a journalism media degree. I've interviewed like Floyd Mayweather, um, the Klitsch goes, um, Conor McGregor. Um, I'll say that here because you guys are MMA fans out here. So, yeah, I mm. thought I'd add that one in. Um, Jimmy Manuwa, is that his name, Manuwa? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Manuwa. That was actually at a Bama show. Oh, yeah. In, uh, Wem- at Wembley, yeah. I went to a Bama show once. And that was really cool. Uh, Michael Van Page is another one I've interviewed. Um, yeah, I've interviewed some of the biggest sports. Uh, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, all them as well, like all them kind of names. That's what I originally did, and that's what led me to boxing management. I wanted to change, and I met um, some really good guys, and Adam and Sam, and they um, brought me on board and trusted me with a, the um, a very pivotal role in the company, and that's where it all started, really. That's, that's that is awesome. Like and like you say, those names that you've just named, which you've interviewed, you know, they're like the the very top of the tree. You know, they're the names which. Like for me personally, Dana White. Dana White. Yeah, see, they're the names which ultimately, like one day, I would love to interview those those type of guys. So that must have been like, was that a big decision for you to obviously you're obviously doing something really well in sports journalism to get those kind of interviews. So was it a big decision for you to change, you know, change careers and go away from that? You know what? It wasn't. Do you know what it is? When I was younger, I always got to have a goal in the sense of what I want to do and. Well, it was when I, but everything happened very fast to me in journalism. So I was doing this all while I was actually still getting my degree. So I didn't even finish. And I was like, whoa, my God, I've got, I, I, I worked hard to try and get this degree, thinking that at the end, this is the kind of stuff I'd work my way up. And I said, I've done it already before I've even finished it. <laughs> and this was the, this was the issue. It was almost like these people were starting to seem, it was just starting to seem normal to me. And it just wasn't the same. And you're seeing these people on a day-to-day basis. I was seeing Eddie Hearn. And Andy Joshua and, and these people, you'd sometimes see the same people like four to five times a week. It was getting that yeah. much. But sometimes you'd have a press conference in like Sheffield one day, then there might be one in like Newcastle the next day, and then there's one, and they're all the same people. And it just wasn't, it was getting too repetitive for me. And it was more like, I still enjoyed it. And I still actually do some, sometimes journalism from time to time, but not nowhere near as often. But um, now it wasn't because I always like a new challenge. And the size of boxing management, to think, before you're just interviewing a boxer, they can say whatever they want to you, and that's really it. But now you get to guide them and take them on that journey. Imagine taking a guy from nothing to world championship glory, and like you got the likes of Joe Joyce against Debar, a sold out O2 Arena against for all the marbles, and the winner could go on to fight for a world title against the likes of Joshua, a sold out Wembley, or something like that. Some things like that. It's, it's as much as well and good it is for me just to interview someone. You interview people all the time, and it's just. And you just get, you're, you're at all these events. But if you're managing someone, you're a real big part of that moment when they lift that, that glory and those big nights. And they're the kind of nights that you can tell your family about and, and, and whatnot for the rest of your life. Like, I always say, it doesn't, it's not really a job if you, if you don't feel like you're working, you know? So yeah, yeah. I wake up every day 
and I never feel like I'm working. So they say you never really work a day in your life. And, that, and that's what it is for me. Because the thing is, you have to put a lot more into it than what you really get out of it. And that's what I do. So I work like all kinds of different hours, but it's good because I don't feel like I'm actually working those hours. And that is what the difference in boxing management was for me. I could always go back to the journalism side. It's not like in the sense that I've shut it over, I've shut it over for good. But I just still do it from time to time. But yeah, like I said, it's, it, was, it was different. I really wanted to use uh, my mind in management game. And people said I'm doing great so far. So I thought it was a good move for me because in the sense of, in journalism, there was loads of people doing the same thing as me. Yeah. And I just felt like we're all asking the same questions. We're all doing the same stuff. We're all reading the same news that we're then asking them about. So this person's answered the same question probably about 60 times a day. And everyone's yeah. uploaded it. And it's just like, it's almost like boring in the sense of like, you, you, just, you already know what's going to happen. And it was just wasn't, it wasn't something I saw as being my long-term future. When management things come up, I really saw that as something I could do. Because I know boxing inside out. And I believe, in my eyes, better than anyone. Yeah, But I'm sure everyone believes that. That's a self-confidence key, really. More than um, being arrogant. But you've got to believe you're the best, otherwise you won't ever be the best. And, that, and, that's, and how can you be attractive to sign for if you don't believe you're the best at the end of the day? Because no one wants to sign for the one that's second best, do they? So No, no. That's, and, that's, and, that's the, and that's the way that it is. So, now I really, really enjoy it and, it. and it's good, man. Because when you see some of the big things that you do in this war, man, it just... And you really sit there and think about it, like with your help in management and stuff, and some of the big deals you're doing, seven-figure deals, all these crazy things. And like, when and you when you when you were just a fan of the sport, and I still am in many ways just a fan of the sport. And it's just like, man, this is crazy. This is like real now, you know. That's yeah, yeah. it. So like, <clears throat> I guess it's uh, it's what's your day-to-day kind of. Uh, you know responsibilities in terms of so say like in lockdown now where obviously you're not traveling around as much as maybe you would be with you know preparing for upcoming fights and things like that what um you know what would you what have you been doing during lockdown just to keep things ticking over and yeah uh, so lockdown it's obviously very challenging this is one of the hardest times to be a manager ever oh, and if you're a promoter as well because I'm sure promoters having um hell at the moment but the thing is you're working towards rescheduling dates, and that's the, that's the hardest thing because originally Joe Joyce to Bar got rescheduled for July. Now again, it's been postponed again, and now we're in a bit more of a pickle where Joe hasn't almost fought for a year, so we're going to need to get him out in an interim bout, bout so he's not going into Daniel to Bar rusty, and it's all a problem because who's going to want to pay that kind of money for a fight behind closed doors when it don't when it, in British boxing what because in America, they get all their revenue from TV, whereas it's very different here. So all our revenue comes from the gate. So um, especially when it was sold out O2 Arena, especially it's a lot, lot of money gone there as well. So it's all just planning on getting him out, getting him some rounds. I mean, even the same for our other fighters as well. We've got a lot of other fighters that are in, we're in the same boat with. And it's just that, really. We're announcing some news on our other heavyweight, who is signed by top rank, fights on ESPN. Guido Vinello, he'll be going behind closed doors. It's announcing okay. that soon, which is some good news. Hopefully, our super middleweight, Lorraine Richards, who's the British and Commonwealth champion and WBO international world ranked around the top 10. He'll be having a fight behind closed doors, hopefully, to be announced at some point soon. But yeah, so it's just stuff like that, really. But it's not even just that. It's, so, fighters, you've got to think, companies have to make cutbacks in these times. So that affects very much in combat sports. It's a sponsorship that they will receive from companies. And 
in combat sports, that is really pivotal early on in fighters' careers, like where they're not earning silly purses, which they yeah, will get less, which they can live off. But at, at early on, it's usually sponsors that really help. So it's just maintaining that for the fighters as well. Um, also, it's just almost keeping boxing relevant because if there isn't any boxing on, which there isn't, which luckily enough for MMA having their, their big um, UFC card recently, and they had the midweek one as well, didn't they? Which was slightly yeah. small. It still keeps it relevant, and even more so relevant now, because it's the only combat sport that's really going. And they obviously went full speed at it with that first card, you know, which is good. Uh, but boxing needs to stay relevant. So actually, lately, I've just been having like some big fighters on Instagram Live, actually, um, just doing a bit, a bit of talking about boxing, what's going on. I had Shannon Briggs on recently. I've got Evander Holyfield on tomorrow. Amazing. Didn't talk about the Mike Tyson situation. Um, all that kind of stuff, really. Just keeping it relevant, really. And um, making sure the fighters are happy, make sure they're staying like sane. Because, you know what, it's the biggest thing. A lot with fighters, and it probably is a lot of that in as well, they're people that they're, they're not, they're just very good at what they do, but outside of it, they struggle to like maintain like their behavior. Like, that's why you saw like the Billy Joe Saunders on a silly video recently. Yeah. And yeah. Other fighters, because they just, when they can't train and stay in the gym and stay focused on something, they just go a little bit crazy. So it's also making sure none of our fighters make silly mistakes like that and stuff like that. Just making sure they're happy and just trying to update them with news as much as possible. We talk with promoters every day from all over the world. What's going on? Are there any plans being in place? We're getting to that stage now where plans are starting to um, unravel, really, because where shows are now able to go behind closed doors in the UK now, as Eddie Hearn made that great plan for his matchroom woman in his back garden. That's it, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. Then Frank Warren's got these plans, which is very important for us because we have got three, oh, four fighters under Frank Warren, I believe. So that's a very important, some very important news coming about that, which is really important for us as well. And um, yeah, so and America are in a bit of a different state at the moment. Like I said, where they get a lot more of their money from TV, um, it's a lot more um, easier for them to access. And also, where in the UK, the board came out with a rule that you can only have five fights on a card. Which is obviously a bit of an issue. I don't want that. It's like it's four. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say. I didn't have five. Um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah. So we're only allowed five fights. So that means those five fights are going to have to be competitive, obviously, because yeah, you should have a twelve, fifteen fight card, and the first five or six fights would be fighters coming through, having their warm ups against journeymen, and that that's a bit of the problem, really, because where one of our fighters is two and zero in uh, Louis Edmondson he ain't ready to go in for a 50-50 yet because you're meant to be 7-8-0 and 0 before you're taking them fights and um, we've also got a guy who's set to make his debut called John Hedges as well like what's, it leaves him a bit of a pickle as well but thankfully these guys are young so John Hedges is 18 it's not like we're 32 33 where we need to get a move on now and Louis is 24 so we have got we have got time on our sides but yeah it's, it's, all, it's all new for everyone I mean everyone is struggling in the sport of it so I'm not going to sit here and like, we've been hard done by but we're, we're, um, we're using this time, like I said before, just to become stronger and um, learn from other mistakes people have made, really. Yeah, a couple of things I was going to ask you about there then. So, um, so yesterday we had uh, former Wales international, former Man United player, uh, Clayton Blackmore, on the football show. And um, one of the things which came up was kind of like, like youth players um, and how much time the clubs spend uh, kind of coaching them on social media and how to use it and make sure you don't post things that you, you know you don't want the world to see as as young people do and um 
you mentioned there about like Billy Joe, uh, Billy Joe Saunders had put up a video, which perhaps he shouldn't have. Um, as part of S Jam and you know overall, do, do you guys help the, particularly the younger fighters kind of get to grips with that and not, not coach them, but just I guess advise them on you know social like social media and just making those mistakes. Maybe if you've had a beer or two when you're not training and just posting something that you shouldn't or uploading a video that you shouldn't, you know, because they could be so so damaging, uh, you know, to anyone really, but particularly I think people who are going to be in the public eye, um, that type of thing can be disastrous for a career. Yeah, actually, funny you say that. So I actually only really got social media properly, apart from Facebook, in um, November. Oh, okay. I, mean, I know that's probably weird to hear a 24 year old say that but yeah and no, I wasn't just too really keen on everything you know I, I saw what social media does to people and ask it. I was really, really too keen on it but um it's the actual reason why I got it is because I could so I could watch Sam um Jones uh, who's co-founder of SRAM said um you need to get on social media man you need to watch what these fighters are doing because they, they honestly do they won't see things as being silly because it's banter and I get it because I understand it's the same kind of band I'd probably have with my mates behind closed doors, but you don't, you make sure nobody sees. And this is the issue. People, we live in a generation now where people get offended a lot easier than what maybe they used to. And people don't always see that it's a joke. And sometimes it shouldn't be a joke because if you, if you are uh, um, at the top of the tree in the sport, then you are an idol and a lot of people do look up to you. And that is, and it is the way it is. I remember when I was a kid, I used to look up to fighters. I looked up to Lennox Lewis, Matt, big time, with your hand, big time. And it's true, and these people would look up to people like Billy Joe Saunders, um, Joshua Fury, all these people, just like when, when you're younger, you, other people do, and people used to look up to Prince Nassim Hamid and people like that. So it, I get it. it I, I do get it. And and, it, and people do need to um, be responsible and get stuff. And I, and I do do that, yeah. I do that all fires at all levels, really. The ones who are a bit bigger don't actually tend to do it as much. The only fighters that I've really seen do things... Um, under under my supervision, really, I've been the uh, small one. But even then, it's not really anything. It's only because they just because they've only just turned pro or whatever, or they've not had many pro fights. They just don't really see themselves like an icon or such. Yeah. But I think it doesn't matter, man. You don't know who's jealous out there, who's who should maybe start or switch something. But like I said, we've been very lucky and very we've got very good people around us that luckily haven't made that um, made any silly mistakes really. So we've been quite lucky. Yeah, and I think the thing is as well, it's um, even if you're perhaps a fighter who hasn't got a name yet, is the aim eventually is to be a big name, isn't it? And it, like, yeah. if you do post something, which is, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, is there's always someone out there who's going to screenshot it and they'll just save it. Yeah. And when I mean, you see people that have made old tweets before, haven't they? That might have been racist or there have been people that have done ones about Hillsborough and stuff, like, because it was such football banter at the time. And that's, and that's the issue, isn't it? Because you're going to get hold on account for something you said when you were 15, and now you're yeah. 21 years old. And, that, and, that, and that's just the way it is. And that's just the way the world is. And um, I don't agree with it, to be honest, because there are no. probably so many silly things I've did and said when I was 15 and 16. But now I'm a 24-year-old man. I'm a very different person than I was when I was 15 16. And anyone who is the same person as they were when they were 15 or 16, we need to take a look at themselves anyway. Yeah, so they need to give their head a bit of a wobble, isn't it? But I'm just glad. Like, I'm about... I'm I'm 39 this year, and like I, um, I'm very glad that there was no social media and camera phones when I was like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, any of those ages yeah. because I said stupid shit, I did stupid shit, and I would have been like unemployable because yeah. 
the first thing companies, you know, for even for you know people who are not involved in professional sports, it's like the first thing people do these days before a job before a job interview is they Google the person who they're interviewing. Yeah. And like I got three boys, I have two of them teenagers, so they're getting up to that point now where they're going to do their exams and leave school, and I'm like constantly drumming into them. Do not put anything on the internet that you are not happy for everyone in the world to see because once you put it out there, it's there. They're yeah. not taking it down, even if you delete it. Yeah, and even if you do take it down. I mean, I remember there was a time, I don't know what it was, social media was. It, it might have been like Bebo or Facebook or something, mm-hmm. where you put it up, but even if you deleted it, it would still stay there. Yeah. Like if you typed it in Google or something, I was like, that is crazy, man. There's a, there's a website, I believe. I it might be wrong, but they either used to be something like Twitter archive and it archives every single yeah, post on Twitter. Right. So it like was, it was, it was definitely, I remember it. that was the one that it was. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So even if you delete a tweet, it's still there. And like, say yeah. I say I write a tweet now and it shows up on people's timelines, but I delete it. If I, they've then you go on your Twitter and you're looking through your timeline from two hours earlier, my tweet is still there. Yeah. Cause your phone hasn't like refreshed and that. So yeah, yeah. I just, it, it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's a thing. And it's, you see, this thing has destroyed many careers, man. Like, honestly, I've seen some journalists that have been at the top and they've made some stupid tweets and they've never been seen the same way. And, no. and not just them, you get it with fighters, you get it with, um, it's any career of life. Like you could literally just, um, you could just be a, um, you could be working as a salesman in, a, in an office. They see you've made silly tweets and stuff, they're not going to want you representing at the end of the day because it has a bad reflection on the company there. Like, it's in every walk of life, really. It just follows you forever. And you have to, oh. have to be really careful. Yeah, for sure, mate. How many, um, like, how many times do you see somebody tweets like a celebrity or something, something, you know, something horrific, like whether it's racist or nasty or they say something about their kids or, you know, just horrible stuff that people do. And then how many times then do you see when people get outright outraged, rightly so, because it was our horrible thing to say, but they're then like tweeting their, that person's employer and their university. Ian Wright did it recently, didn't he? Yeah. Did it. He outed that. Uh, he's like a fifth, like, a, I don't know how old he was, but he was like a teenage kid. He was a kid. Like, and then, um, you know, don't get me wrong. That kid sent it. Some of the stuff was just horrible, mate. It was like I just, I just struggled to. It should never have ever been acceptable, don't you? But I'm, I just like that's not what I'm getting at here. But I struggled to see how in 2020 people still feel like they can say disgusting things like that, and, that, and that's what gets me more than anything. I'm like, who is this kid's parents? Who was his mates? Who was his teachers? Because yeah. like, you don't just. Be racist. You're 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 taught it, and you're you're going to. Uh, who's shown him this? Like, it's mental, absolutely mental. And yeah, you're spot on, mate. And like I say all the time on various shows, when this type of thing comes up, I was just like, it's 2020. Why are we still talking about like people having these really ignorant and just embarrassing no, views? I agree. But not just that side of it. Then I also get frustrated with the side of it that. Not just that they've got the views, but they feel so like comfortable to voice them publicly for everyone to see or to message people. And it's like, surely in this day and age, why aren't, like you said, family, friends, whoever calling them out and saying, hang on a minute, like, why are you, why are you saying this stupid crap? Like, but also, I mean, you would think that 
that that kid who said that, we'll just use him as an example. But that's probably not the first time he's been racist. He probably is a racist quite quite often. So judging by the stuff he was saying, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, but I don't even see when when like you would send a racist tweet or and it doesn't have to be racist. It could be taking me out of someone's way or or anything or a disability yeah, yeah. or anything. But what do they think? Or or, or a private message on Instagram? What do they think they're going to get from that? So let's just pretend no one sees it. Then no one's seen it. So what was the point anyway? And even if they do see it, all you're going to get is a backlash that you deserve. And and I I just I just don't. And you're going to upset someone. So what is there to gain from it that's positive? What do you get out of it that is positive? Nothing. Nothing. And what I, the other side of it as well is like who in this day and age thinks that they can tweet that sort of thing or message that sort of thing and get away with it? No, like, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it would usually be someone who is either very old in the sense that they're, they're quite new to social media and they don't understand yeah. really the logistics behind it and everything that goes on with social media. Or it would be someone that's very young and that's the same, it's the same outcome for the same reason. Someone... And there probably has been a few still, but someone who really understands social media and the impact it has, and it literally does control society as a whole now, um, wouldn't do that, I would think, even if they are still uh, racist or um, a bully or whatnot, because they would know of the backlash and the outcome it would have. But then again, it doesn't surprise me. You still see some people do it. I mean, Boris Johnson's done some silly <laughs> racist things in the past, So, and even, and even though he's one of the most powerful people in the world. So there you go, really. Well, mate, I tell you what, I um, I say it all the time, but like, if I had told you ten years ago that um, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump would be the leaders of the free world, I'm sure you would have told me to get stuff. Like, but here we go. That's that it. It's a crazy that... world, man. That's it. Oi. I even when the um, Donald Trump thing happened, I said to people, "It's going to happen," you know, because the thing is, the one country in the world where that would happen it would be the United States man and it's just yeah. he was clever in the way he did his campaign he was clever I don't like him I don't agree any much with what he does and he, he, if I was an American I wouldn't have been um, in his favour but it's clever in what he did he was so clever and, it, and you had to be clever to win that campaign because you for someone who's so hated he's also so loved by certain people and he made sure those certain people um, voted for him and that, and that was a clever campaign and it worked for him at the end of the day, not that I like him to agree with him, but he must have done something right because he is the president at the end of the day. Yeah, man, he just he targeted the right people, didn't he, in terms of who was going to vote for him and stuff. Um, so the other thing I was going to kind of circle back to, you mentioned kind of right at the start, really, was about being part of a team and the the journey and, you know, when, he, when one of the fighters then wins the, you know, gets to the, the pinnacle of their career, this it's everyone who's been on that journey. And I think sometimes with MMA and boxing is it gets lost on the, the, the fact that people see it as an individual sport, which of course it is an individual sport, but um, if you know, you ask any fighter, they couldn't do it without their coaches, without their teams, without their managers. And you know, the people who are involved on a day-to-day basis, it is a real team effort. And that's something which I, like I knew anyway, but, having spoken to so many fighters now in the last year or so, I've really, really started to understand that and speaking to some coaches as well. Like, so that must be like really special to be a part of, especially for you now, because you're a big boxing fan. You can look at people like uh, Joe Joyce or you can look at people like Cody Davis and you can see their potential of where they're going to go. 
and they're on you know they're on your books they you're, you're with them you're you're doing things to help them so that's got to be exciting you know for you of course it is i'll go back to what you said the individual sport thing any boxer that probably says it's an individual sport in a sense they probably haven't got a good management or training team behind them because the thing is that if you're a good manager and a good trainer the only thing the fighter has to do is define itself and that's the thing and there's a lot to do before you actually make it to that ring walk and there is so much to do and it's so important to take all the stress off a fighter and make sure the only thing he's got to do is use his tools and that's his two hands at the end of the day. Well, and his legs and that, I guess. Yeah. But, like, you know what I mean. But, um, you know, and, that, and that's it at the end of the day. And um, it is a lot of hard work. And essentially, there is an individual sport in there. I'm not in there throwing the punches. He is or she is. But um, at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it as a team. So it's definitely not an individual sport. But um, it is crazy. I have to say it's crazy. Like, for example, in November, um, we've got super middleweight which as I was saying earlier, he won the British title. He was already Commonwealth champion and WBO international. And um, But to walk him out on a way turf in Birmingham to fans booing and whatnot, like, yes, I knew, I knew he was going to do a job on Lennox Clark anyway. And because um, he's, he's very talented. Billy Joe Saunders has touted um, Lerone Richards as the, most, the best upcoming talent in the country. You look on Dave Allen tweets and that, he's the best. He says that Lerone Richards is the best boxer from Britain right now as a whole. This guy is very, very good. And um, he, we went there and he boxed um, Lennox Clark's um, head off, won, won uh, on points, almost stopped him though. And to go in the ring in, when there's thousands of people there and that, and to be in the ring with him and they announced him as British and Commonwealth and still WBO international champion and that is just the best feeling. And that's the feeling that you, when you put the hard hours in and you're doing this and, and doing that and having arguments and whatnot with people to, to get make sure you, the things are right for your fire. It's all worth it, man. And you, you understand that things like moments of that will live with me forever. And you can't ever, as much as you can do stuff to someone, that's one thing you can't ever take away from me. Yeah. So, and it's good. And it's, it, it was a very special uh, moment and time for the team in that as well. And there's many, many more to come as well. And we've had many other special nights as well, like Joe Joyce beating Brian Jennings, who, who almost, who, who lost on the closest into Klitschko. I mean, the guy's a great fire as well. You've got, I mean, um, Joe Joyce winning the Commonwealth title in fastest time in history within four fights. Madness. Uh, like, you know, these are all exciting journeys we've been a part of. And, and, even, and we're just getting started, man. We've only been doing this a year and a half, you know. Two years, that's, two years. That's, that's mad. That's, that's, uh, that's some big growth. When you look at, um, look at some of the names which you've got, um, you know, associated with you, some of the best young talent in the country, if not the world, like obviously, like I mentioned, I've had Cody Davis on myself. Um, I was very surprised when he lost his last fight um, because I expected him to do what he had done previously, which was just outbox or steamroller as his opponents. And I know, having spoken to Cody a little bit, you know, on and off, um, you know, I know he'll come back. He's got such a strong mentality and everything he's been through outside the ring to, you know, to focus himself and to, to be able to carry on to the level that he, you know, he, he has been, says a lot about that, that, uh, that mental, you know, strength to be able to do that. But um, where, what do you see then next for, for Cody? You know what, man, that night actually really, really hurt me, man. Because me and um, Cody have a really special bond. Like we've gone through similar things in our life and um, 
that's what I always told him. I'd always do my best for him. And he always says that, like, he knows I'm so real to him. And I've always, like, um, been there for him. And I'm always there no matter what. Like, I would never just, like, leave him in the dark or anything. Mm-hmm. Always do my best for him. And, um, because like where Cody had lost his sister, I've actually I've lost a brother before as well, and um, okay. I know what it, I know how it feels. So that's why I've got a special. Um, I really understand how Cody feels in himself and how hard it is probably for him to even get into the ring and fight that man. Because that guy, that's not even just that. But he's been through. He's had a lot going on these last mm. year and a half or whatnot. And um, somehow I don't know how he gets into the ring sometimes, but I guess maybe that's his escape from it all. I guess. But you know what it is. That reason why that really hurt is because Cody. And this is no disrespect to Umar Sadiq. Umar Sadiq is actually a good friend of mine as well. And um, he's actually a great guy. But if that fight was at light heavyweight, he would have knocked Umar Sadiq out, I think, probably early to mid-round. Because um, he almost had Umar Sadiq out there in round seven or six. Six, I, can't remember. I think, wasn't it? He had him hurt on the ropes anyway. He had him hurt. And it looked like if, he, if Cody had it in him, because if he didn't, if he didn't uh, gas... Yeah. If he could throw another three or four punches in that flurry towards the end, the referee luck is going to jump in anyway. But it's the sport. It is what it is. Umar Sadiq made the sport better. That made the weight better, sorry. And you can't take credit away from that because he did. He did at the end of the day. He won the fight and, that, and that's it. He didn't, he didn't get a dodgy decision. He won the fight. So um, the frustrating thing is, is is trying to make weight to have a size advantage when you don't get a size advantage if you're draining yourself at the weight because you've got no size anyway. You're, you're weak. And that's the issue. You see, for the first four rounds, you couldn't give Umar a round. He was getting his head boxed off. And um, Cody, doing what he does best, he's very elusive, in, out, in, out. And it was working well. And that just goes to show what it is. And it was, and the reason why it's not more on it's a risk that we didn't even really need to take. In a sense, we'd beaten Zach Kelly, who had already beaten Umar Sadiq. So what was the real reason to go down there anyway? Yeah. The step like heavyweight, where he was strong, fit, and there was no risks that way. But you know what it is? It's a learning curve. For everyone, I mean, I don't think it should be fine to midway anyway. I've always said that, but you know, it's what it is. You learn from it. We're gonna move on, and there's big things in uh, in line for Cody, man. Trust me, that guy is definitely gonna go a long way still. At the end of the day, it's lost. It's a setback, but it's, it, that's ready for a major comeback. At the end of the day, Cody's very determined, training very hard. He's in great shape at the moment. He's not like some other fighters who blow up during his time because they're eating the takeaways that maybe you guys are not lucky enough to get at the moment. <laughs> yeah, man. And whatnot. And they're, they're, and, but he's taking it seriously because sometimes the loss can affect someone in different ways. A lot of guys can be like, you know what, I'm done with this sport. It's just shit. I don't want to be here no more. Or you can be like, you know what, it's made me hungrier to succeed even more and, and I'm going to go at it. And Cody trains every day. He's looking great. looking very strong at the moment. And uh, that's good, man. There'll be some big things in that for Cody. He was actually meant to have his comeback fight on June the 26th. I had him on, on, out in Cardiff. I've got him a fight there. Amazing. But obviously, with everything going on. Yeah, that had been postponed. It had been postponed because of that. So, which is a shame because it had been nice to have gone out getting a six or eight rounder just to get the momentum going again a nice yeah, yeah. get the uh, Get him in, then line him for another decent um, fight. Uh, maybe a British light heavyweight title eliminator, which is what we're talking about now, Rinch had Sugden, which would be really good. Nice. It'd be really good. You win that, and you get to fight winner of Shakam Pitters against or Craig Richards for the British lightweight title, and that's a good fight. So, yeah, man, it's good. It's good. Like, do you know what it is? It's a loss, but I think everyone almost knows, even in the boxing world, that Cody didn't really lose properly. Like, he lost because of the weight. But when you lose more because of that, rather than just because you weren't the better fighter, it's a lot easier to get back in the mix. And all he needs is. One win and an eight round or whatnot. Yeah, and he's for back. sure. I don't even need that. If he can get the fight, fight Chad Sugden when it's all over or behind closed doors, then we're going straight back in there against Chad Sugden because at the end of the day, that's a very winnable fight against 
a guy with a decent record who then gets you in every British lightweight title. And at the end of the day, that's what we're in it for. We're in it for the belts, aren't we? And uh, obviously to get paid well as well. But you don't get paid well unless you take good... Take the belts. It's where the money comes. Yeah. And I think... I definitely think he's more suited to light heavyweight. Um, I felt like that was... I felt like that going in to the fight anyway. But um, when you saw... Like Cody did look um, quite tired at certain points like in later on in the fight... And then, you know, it affected him. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm, I, 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 I talk about weight cutting a lot, more, more so in MMA. But, um, you have seen weight cuts. Some of them I've seen are absolutely, because the thing is, we have, we have, scary, uh, mate. We have restrictions in our, in our sport, right? Where, um, you have to do check weigh-ins. If it's yeah, sanctioned, yeah, like, it has, has to be a sanction for a belt. They don't do a check weight for final journeyman. You're not, if you're a final journeyman, you don't really have to make weight. So, mm. but you have check weigh-ins and um, you have rehydration clauses for certain sanctioning bodies. There's a lot more safety um, things put in place in boxing. But then again, sometimes it isn't safety because then some fighters will burn themselves down even more for the check weight, which then even more risky. And it's just like, yeah, it is difficult. So, but there are, I would say, more safety restrictions in boxing. Because, you know what, I'm not too sure on how other governing bodies in MMA work, but I know in UFC alone, like, there's crazy. I just remember that the fame, probably one of the most famous ones of recent times, and Darren Till's weight cutting, um, I think where he was in the sauna and stuff, and he couldn't even see no more. He had to get carried and stuff, didn't he? Like, that's you know, just, that's it's not really healthy, mate, is it, for a human body? And that's, again... And then go fun. and fight days later. It's not being funny. If I knew one of my fighters were doing that, don't worry, I saw Cody wake up and I wasn't pleased about it. It was nothing like that, right? And um, Gavin Rees reassured me that he would... And he would know Cody better than I would yeah. in the training situation, that he would be fine. But then um, also, it it just that was that was a whole different ball game. I would never have let one of my fighters fight if they couldn't see and they were getting carried. That's just the thing is you got to remember this is sport and you get you could pay at the end of it or whatnot. But man, this guy's health is forever. Look what Cody had already been through. You know, like, imagine another like sad thing happening to his family or yeah. something like that. You know, some things are worth more than money and, and whatnot in boxing and or even combat sport as a whole. Initial health and that is always the most important thing more than anything. So. Yeah, but, for sure, mate. For sure. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right about Cody at light heavyweight. He is a light heavyweight. You remember Cody as an amateur was a heavyweight. He beat Huey Fury yeah. in amateurs. He beat Huey Fury. He used to ping Lawrence Cody all over the place in sparring and stuff like that. The guy was a real force as a heavyweight. Obviously, he isn't a heavyweight. When you're heavyweight as an amateur, you're not heavyweight as a pro. No. Really. So, so it, it does work out different. And he'd be giving away a lot of size at cruiserweight as well. So I get that light heavyweight makes sense for him. And it does. But um, yeah, no, definitely. You'll never see him see midway again. Yeah, super middleweight was a bit a uh, step too far, I think. But like, just going back to the weight cutting thing, um, I know UFC now uh, have brought in some check, like uh, check weights and stuff, just as the to try and make the weight cuts safer. Because obviously, with social media and camera phones, like we talked about just now, um, it's the same thing with things like when you got people doing weight cuts and it's extreme. And there was one with Chris Cyborg a couple of years ago where she was like, you know. I remember- I remember that one. Like yeah, an yeah. ice bath or something, or a sauna, and she was, yeah, yeah. she was crying, and it's it's quite upsetting to watch. Like, and well, there's no. someone else that literally had to get held up on the scales in the UFC. As well. Yeah, oh, who was that? Um, that was quite a big fighter as well, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think who it was. I remember it because I, I remember that. I remember some of the bigger ones. Who was it? I can't find my iPad. I had my iPad before we find it. Yeah, the no. thing is, there's been guys like in Muay Thai and stuff in. Um, 
some parts of Asia who've died recently, like in the last year or two. Oh, or so, some of them, honestly, some of them outrageous. I've seen, I've somehow that some somehow it gets leaked to like some of the bigger news channels, but some of the ones I see on like Facebook and stuff, um, like they're huge. I mean, some huge high fighters that like, um, I'm just like, how are they making these crazy weight cuts? Like, why is there no um, safety in place or anything like that? I just think it's outrageous. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous how there's nothing in place for any of these um, fighters or anything. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's upsetting, mate. So I find it really distressing seeing these guys or girls like putting themselves through it. And then it's not just, it, but like long-term health, I just think that can't be healthy to be like held up on the scales or to be completely broken down in that weight cut. No. And then two days later, you're getting kicked and punched and choked out and all these different things. Which, yeah. you know, they can take, you know, if you imagine having the most distressing weight cut possible and then two days later being smashed around the face and head and then being choked <laughs> unconscious. It's what it is. It's what it is, man. You're getting hit. You're getting kicked to the body hard. You're getting punched to the body hard. You're getting taken blows the head. You're exhausted. You're dehydrated. You, 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 you haven't been drinking any water because of the water weight or anything. That's it, and, that, and that's the way it is. It's the most dangerous way of um, you can ever really do these kind of things. Like, I can't believe it, and that's what I said. Is that's why it's so important that you have a good manager behind you, someone good fighting your corner that actually that doesn't care about the pound note at the end of it, that cares about your health, man, and your well-being first and foremost. Because you get you've seen fighters in the past that don't really have good management teams around them because they don't care about maybe their um, health and and whatnot first and foremost, and they'll just put you in there still. And make you think that you're ready to fight in there just for the money at the end of it, at the end of the day. And you probably see that more with the bigger fights where they obviously, because if they're not earning as much money, then you're not probably going to put them at risk as much. But you'll see them with some of the bigger fights where they'll cut them down and cut them down and cut them down away where they literally look like they're ill because of the money that comes at the end of it. And at the end, of it. And you see that so much in um, UFC. I'm trying to think one of them, who is it Cody Garbrandt fought? And they were literally like weight drained. Um, so yo, I just found one. Yoa Romero was the one that was carried to the way to the way scale. Uh, that was it. Yeah, Yoel Romero. Like, like he's um he's massive for the for the weight he fights. He's a scary man. I remember when Darren Till accidentally called him out, didn't he, when he was drunk? Yeah, Jesus, he's uh, he's one of the more uh, scary dudes, isn't he? Like he's just built like a brick shit house, and he's just like everything about him. And he like he goes down to middleweight, and it's like. <sighs> He's a big. I just wonder why they put themselves through the body. You know what? I have a lot of criticism towards UFC. If I'm honest, I don't. I mean, as as a as a body, they do great. They put some great fights on. As a business, they do absolutely unbelievable. But I don't agree with a lot of how they work. I mean, I don't like the way they treat their fighters. uh, Yeah, financially and like their their scumbags or something. Or like you know, I just feel like. The people that are going to put their lives on the line for your entertainment, they need to be paid right, which I think is a major issue in the UFC. And their health needs to be more uh, paramount at the end of the day. I know, obviously, in combat sports, your health is never going to be really paramount because at the end of the day, if it was, then you wouldn't be in there in the first place. But within reason, you need to make, you need to make the sport as safety as safe as possible at the end of the day. And, that, and, that, and that's all we can really ask for. Because at the end of the day, we all want to see people get knocked out. We all want to see people get hurt. But we don't want to see them not leave the octagon or the ring the same fight it was to yeah. it. And that's the way it is, really. So, like, just talking about, for an example, just talking about um, the money, because I'm a big advocate that uh, fighters should get paid more, particularly UFC fighters, because I do feel like there's a bit of a disparity between 
um, the like MMA fighters to boxing. Particularly why do you think MMA fighters want to come and fight our boxers for, man? Yeah. This is why you've got these guys calling out Ryan Garcia, calling out everyone. They just want to, because they know this is where the money is. This is why Connor sold himself to come and fight in boxing, because he knew he won't see that money anywhere else. At the end of the day, and that's even Conor McGregor, who is, the, who is bigger than yeah. UFC, is UFC itself. And even he had to go to boxing to get his biggest payday. Um, well, the, there's, um, there's guys, like on the UFC 249, which we mentioned uh, earlier, was one of the most stacked cards ever, um, you know, because they knew because of the lockdown and everything. So they wanted to make it a special card. Um, the lower paid fighters on that card, uh, Sam Alvey got paid 65 grand. Uh, Ryan Spann got paid 50 What kind of level is the fight though? What level, what level um, fight is that? So Bryce Mitchell, who was on the, I think he was the co-main event of the pre-show or the prelims. Uh, he got paid 54 grand. Um, Nico Price, who had who was involved in my opinion, what was the fight of the night, got paid fifty-seven grand. Whereas you had like uh, Henry Cejudo got three hundred and fifty grand. Uh, Ferguson Gaethje was in the main event, had half a million each, or just under half a million for Justin Gaethje. Gaethje not what, including France bonuses. Uh, Francis Ngannou just got just over three hundred grand. So like that's to me. These guys are putting their lives in, you know, they're putting their lives on the line, particularly when you've got, you're going into a card like this where they haven't had a full fight camp and they're kind of going in. Some of those fighters were going in with like a two-week camp, if that, and a lot of it, you know, very little sparring, very little grappling because they haven't been able to because the gyms are closed and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, And I just, UFC is a multi-billion dollar company. You know, it's it's one of the biggest. I mean, Bellator pay better, don't they? Right? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, not not so much oh, for the very very the big, top. They're mega mega millions because they don't they don't generate that. But, I mean, like through the card, I think it's usually yeah better. yeah. I would say if you probably if you compared um, like the lower to mid card fighters yeah. and you kind of compared them on a level of you know like the same level, I would yeah. not be surprised at all if Bellator was a. Uh, you know, paying more. Even though obviously UFC generated a lot more. But yeah. Oh god, yeah. Um, I'm trying to. Find, I was trying to just find it. Then someone worked out the percentage of how much they made from pay per view buys. So I think they did seven hundred thousand pay per view. It was ridiculous. I saw. I saw the um, poster thing about it uh, recently on there, and about how much was it? Three million spent on the card or something like that. Yeah, something like that. They was very. Like, pay per view price in America are huge, aren't they? Oh yeah. Sometimes they some of the UFC. Um, pay-per-views are like hundred dollars. Um, yeah. I don't know that, if this one was. Remember, that. that doesn't include the money they make from sponsorship for the event, and also that doesn't include the UK TV rights as well. So yeah. BT would have to pay a lot of money for obviously the covering of that as well, and 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 uh, whatnot. So they make a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, I get that some of the money goes into the UFC industry, which I think is free to any UFC fight right now. Yeah, yeah, things like that. But you got to remember, yeah, that these persons. So, what was that guy you said? What was it? Fifty-four grand, one of them. Got yeah, paid, yeah? Uh, well, twenty-four. One of them was twenty-four. Yeah. Yeah. So you you got to think that guy's got to pay a trainer in boxing. When they pay a trainer, it's usually ten percent, unless some of the ones that are on the stupid amounts of money, they maybe work out a deal or an agreement or whatever. But they will all get paid ten percent usually until maybe like European world level, whatever, and then or even then usually it might be still be ten percent. Yeah. I don't know, is it usually the same in MMA? Or? I'm not 100% sure. It's probably similar. Like the, the fighters, which 
Um, so the fighters, for instance, the fighters which I've spoken to, um, and obviously Danny, who does the fight show with me as a coach now for some Bellator and UFC guys, um, say he's got a fighter who goes out to fight in America for the UFC. The UFC will only pay uh, the flight and accommodation for one coach. The, yeah. fight, the fighter has to pay the rest. So if you think, like, like you say, fighters have got teams, uh, particularly in MMA, where you've got a grappling coach, a striking coach, a, a wrestling coach, a BJJ coach, you need all those coaches out there with you. Plus yeah. you need your dietitian and your, you know, your whoever, your manager, yeah. whatever it may be. And suddenly, so for instance, say that fighter who got paid 24 grand, if he was coming from the UK wouldn't be worth his time because all that money would be gone. And then you've got all his food. His, yeah. All of his food, food he's got to pay, and he's got to pay tax. He's got to pay... Did it, I'm assuming that's before tax, right? I think so, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but like I would imagine so. And like, yeah. and you've got to pay tax. And then also, not just that, you, somebody's, when you're a bigger fighter, you have to pay for sparring and, and like you're a, to actually get the guy in there against you, you got to pay for that as well. Like it costs a lot of money. Or well, your training camps, you usually might go away for your training camps. You're away from distractions and that. It costs a lot of money, man. And that's why, unless you really make it to the top, you don't really make any money from these sports. No. And you put yourself through all that punishment, which might affect you for the rest of your life. And you don't really get to see the real benefits of it. And, that, and, that's, and that's even if you reach decent levels, you won't really. But you need to reach elite statuses in these sports to really walk away from the sport and never have to do anything like that again. Yeah, I think people don't... People fight come out of retirement and they need to come out of retirement and fight again because they've yeah. never reached enough. And that was it, really. Well, people don't realise, like a lot of these fight, a lot of these guys who are still who are in Bellator um, and the lower end of UFC or in Cage Warriors, they've got full-time jobs as well as yeah. fighting for these companies because they the, the money they're making from fighting in their, you know, in the early part of their career, it's not enough to, you know, pay their bills, pay pay for food and accommodation and you know they got families and they got kids yeah i don't i think people see them on tv on bt on cage warriors or they or ufc or bellator so they think oh superstar celebrity blah blah blah. and they don't realize that you know maybe these companies are not paying their fighters accordingly in my opinion yeah Uh, i mean there's no real excuse for someone like ufc i mean i get that it's a business and businesses uh, is usually how a business would work but in combat sports you've got to look after these people man because you see sometimes and these people don't do well out of the sport and stuff like they end up turning to drugs alcohol and all kinds of things after then it's not even just that man these guys have got kids in there and they're not getting paid right they need that one does something happens to them and they can't work again or whatnot they need to be looked after these people man and at the end of the day they put themselves through so much for the fans and and to provide for their families and stuff. They need to be looked after, especially when you've got money pouring out your ears in place at like UFC. I yeah. get how business works. As obviously, I work in a boxing business, and I get that how um, things work. But you can't be penny pinching with things like that. You've got to look after these people too, because you've got to remember without these people, you've got no sport. Yeah, and and that's why they people need to be treated with absolute respect and nothing less. And um, I think UFC um, absolutely. Um, rinse it in the sense that they don't look after them but then again I suppose it works it's the most successful combat sports company you'd probably have to say at the moment in the sense that their, their games do well their, the TV the pay-per-views everything and Dana White is just such a big figure in itself and it's uh, I guess it works but I, it's not something I'd feel comfortable with at all and I, I, don't, I don't feel great about it but here's a question for you then would they do better 
if they looked after the fighters a bit better in terms of their public opinion of the company, public opinion of the the higher ups in the company would all be better. So then would more people follow because they would be able to kind of even promote the fact that they look after their fight, even though like me and you agree that they should be doing it as a matter of course, looking after the actual people. But like, you know, I could argue that doing those things, like looking after the fighters better and paying them better would probably be a good PR thing as well. Um, I mean, the issue is, I would say, yeah, it would. I mean, I'm assuming Dana White knows that a lot better than me. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and it worked it. well for him so far. And I mean, he's had no real slip-ups yet. And I mean, the company's just getting bigger and bigger. So, I mean, I would, I think it's just the right thing to do out of being morally correct. Yeah. But some people just work differently. Some people keep their morals and business separate. I mean, evidently. So, I think it would probably encourage more people to get involved in the sport. I mean, for sure. I mean, it would, I would think it would definitely put off some people from getting involved in the sport. It put me off. Not that I would want to do it anyway, but um, it put me off for sure. I wouldn't want to do it. So I think it would attract more people. I mean, a lot of people, when they see that MMA fighters don't even really earn that much unless they're the elite, elite fighters, they probably want to, want to go and do boxing when they see people like... Um, Floyd Mayweather earning 300 million, 400 million pound for a fight, and Joshua earning 80 million pound for a rematch that he didn't even win the first fight for against Ruiz. When you see Fury, when he earned, got that really um, good deal with ESPN, where it was 80 million, 80 or 100 million pound, I think it was, for a five fight deal. It obviously makes you think that you might have to go there, because I don't know many people in UFC who have really reached um, the crazy money, apart from. Um, Obviously, Conor McGregor, Khabib's in that now. Um, I know that Jones. Brock Lesnar got a few good paydays. Yeah. Uh, against even, even Brock Lesnar went back to the WWE to get like a massive multi-year, multi-million pound deal with them. So do yeah. you know what I mean? It, like, but yeah, Lesnar, John Jones, um, Khabib. Yeah, John Jones, Dan Cormier. That's what G- we say. GP, even uh, GSP. Demetrius Johnson got tr- swapped, didn't he? Yeah. So he got swapped. Yeah, for um, I mean, Wonder Rousey, she got good payday. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she changed the game as well. Her, in, in my opinion. Yes. Um, so people ask me or ask us all the time on the fight show is Conor McGregor one of the best ever as a fighter? And I say, I always say, well, maybe not as a fighter, but as. He's just showman, isn't he? Well, to me, Conor McGregor and um, Ronda Rousey changed changed the uh, the whole game for, for UFC, for the fighters, for the company. They changed everything. Uh, like her for the, for the, there was no women's division before Ronda Rousey. Uh, she, yeah. she made it so people wanted. Women's division is almost equal in UFC now. Yeah, like, yeah. If you were, I get excited about like some of the, like I said, when it's, uh, I'm a casual, so the big fights and women, women's fights. And I'm like just as excited as I am for the men. And we're not quite there with that in boxing, but he's growing more in boxing as well. It is like that as well. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's been a couple of women's fights this year. There was one. Um, I saw Zhang. Zhang fight was great, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zhang Li versus Joanna uh, Jan- John Jacek. Yeah. And that was one of the best fights I've ever, from boxing, MMA, best, one of the best fights I've ever seen. I yeah. could not take my eyes off it. Um, and there's been a couple like that in the women. Sometimes you find that the women fighters, they, um, they take their, they're not as tentative in the big fights, they just go hell for leather, I find. And then that just makes for, for really entertaining stuff then. 
Um, yeah. We couldn't talk fighting without me asking you about uh, Mr. Mike Tyson. Uh, everyone's seen the video of him, you know, doing the pad work. It's frightening. Age 53. The, uh, the speed and power on the man. Do you, um, do you think we see him back professionally? I would really hope not. And whoever does that, and like I said, usually if it makes money, it makes sense. And that's the way that some business people see things. Me as a purist of the sport and someone who um, who uh, obviously looks up to Mark Tyson in some kind of way, I, I wouldn't personally want to be um, anything to do with that. But um, it wouldn't surprise me, man. You see some crazy things these days. Look at the YouTube boxing, like, what on earth was that? Like, you get these crazy things that actually happen. Because if, if it makes money, it usually happens. And it does. It does usually happen. We had Muhammad Ali years ago. He had an exhibition against a wrestler. Yeah, for I mean, sure. like, yeah, you have all these kind of weird, random things that do actually happen. I remember there was talk years ago of um, David Hay and Tom Hardy. They almost had a um, exhibition or whatnot. Sometimes these things do happen, and um, I, I really, really hope it's not. I've got a Van Hoeford on tomorrow, and I'm going to speak to him about hopefully not doing that. Um, but it's just, it's just no. He's 53, and people need to remember this, right? He's 53, and he has not all of a sudden got better. If it doesn't happen, you can't teach old dog new tricks. His punch resistance, his his um, reflexes, and his and all sorts were gone fifteen to sixteen years ago. That doesn't come back. It actually just gets worse. Even if his mindset is better, that doesn't matter. None of that stuff comes back. And yeah. he's getting knocked out then by fighters who are not even domestic level in this country. Yeah. And that's and that's the bottom line of it, really. So he can't all of a sudden just come back and do things in the sport. And it would be a real shame to see him do that because the younger generation will remember before he does today, not what he did from before. Yeah. And I also know this dad, like we said, I don't want to see him get hurt, man. He's pretty yeah. healthy. He's got a well, lovely kids that he adores. He's changed his life. He's, um, he's back on a good financial side again. It does, you don't need to do that. You've already created a name and a legacy for yourself in the sport as being one of the scariest, baddest guys of, of all time. You don't, what is there to come back for? To do what exactly? I get that you, you always miss that buzz and that thing around you as a fight because it's probably all he really knows especially after the upbringing that he had but at the end of the day man you've already achieved everything you've achieved in the sport um, you don't want to get hurt you don't need to earn money no more stay out of it you don't want to be you don't want to ruin your own legacy man like people like Roy Jones Jr. went on and boxed for too long and now he'll be remembered by some people as the guy that just formed for too long and really he's one of the best of all time in my opinion Probably maybe even the best of all time Roy Jones Jr. but you know I mean, like I said, usually if it makes sense financially, it usually happens. And that's the sad thing, this sport. Especially in America, because their sanctioning bodies are a lot less strict. So almost anyone can find... They'll probably find a state that will allow it. Some yeah, they'll find somewhere, will not they? New York State Commission will definitely not allow it. No. They're one of the strictest. But they will find one out there, maybe like Louisiana or something or, what, or whatnot. And they will find it. They will make sense there. And that'd be a real shame. I really, really hope it doesn't. I don't want to see. It's the thing that I say that I will watch it if it did, though. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously you can't help but watch things like that. But I really hope not. Like I said, you don't get better at 53. You get a lot worse. And it's, it's easy to look good on pads, a two-minute clip, or whatever it was. At the end of the day, if Cole Lewis went out for a run, you wouldn't ask him to go back to the Olympics and, and have another sprint, would you? You know, and that's, and that's the way that it is. Anyone can look good on the pad for two seconds. It's almost like, you know when a footballer is linked with your club and you look them up on YouTube and there's like a two-minute clip? Anyone is able to look great over a two-minute clip that's been montaged together. Yeah, man. And that's, and that's the reality of it, of it really. And that, that's, 
that's where you can really turn, I guess. I, for me, and like Mike Tyson's one of my all-time heroes, like, but for me, um, with everything we know about head trauma and the, the long-term damage it can do, um, I think it would be irresponsible, no matter how much money could be made for people, I think it would be irresponsible to put Mike Tyson in a professional fight against a young fit. For example, I, I'm just going to pluck a name out of the head, out of my, you know, uh, let's say, I know, Tyson Fury or Andy Joshua, whoever. Um, it would be irresponsible of boxing on a, as a whole and sport as a whole to put Tyson in a fight against any, any not even, if, even if you want to go like, down a, like a level from those guys who are kind of the very top of the heavyweight division and take it to someone who's maybe, you know, not as good as them. I still think it's irresponsible because one, heavyweights are heavyweights, you know, one punch and it's all over in some cases. Um, we know what we know about head trauma and CTE. I don't need to be seeing a 53 year old whose reflexes and stuff are not what they were when he was 20, 25 um, I do like, and, I, and you're right. I would watch it if it happens, but like, I don't really want to see it. I, but that, I that's, the problem. that's where you get stuck, though, because because the fact people still watch it, this is where it makes money, you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's me being hypocritical myself because I'm also one of those as well. But it's um, is is bad. He shouldn't be in there against anyone. I don't even want to see him fight Evander Holyfield in this whatever. It is. I don't want to see those. There's no guys. need. There's no need to fight anyone at any level now because. You've done it. You've done everything you want. You you could have wanted to have done, and you're not going to gain anything out of this. And it's just it doesn't help in any way whatsoever. Like I said, he's not the same man he was when he was younger. Nowhere near it. So it's great that he's in good shape. It's good that his health's in a good place, and whatnot. Do all the training he wants to stay to keep his mind active and whatnot. And maybe because I know he's had depression issues, maybe that helps him take his mind off of things like that and whatnot. And obviously, if you feel good, he's probably going to be a bit happier in himself. But Actually, stepping in the ropes and having an actual fight with someone—I just, I just think it's disgraceful. And anyone who um, associates themselves in the event, um, whether you're the opponent, whether you are the matchmaker, whether you're a promoter, whatever you are, I think you need to take a real good look at yourself. And if anything, and if anything does happen to them, which touch wood it doesn't, then you should hold yourself accountable for it, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had, we had, I had a couple of questions um, which people sent me for like DMs and stuff. Uh, for you, um, nothing too uh, too complex. One of them was, uh, what's the weirdest uh, weirdest thing you've done as part of your job with like managing fighters and looking after fighters? Hmm, weirdest thing I've done. Um, um, help fighters go to the toilet, probably. Wow, what's that with their gloves and stuff on? Yeah, yeah. Had a few one, few of those in the past. That's probably that's probably the weirdest one. Yeah, because you almost had them become a carer as well. It's another uh, type yeah. they I didn't realise was associated with being a manager. But yeah. <laughs> what well, uh, and the uh, the other question, same person, uh, Peaches, she sent in was um, if you could pick uh, one fighter from within S Jam's ranks, other than like the more well known fighters, so maybe someone who people don't know. That you think's going to go on and be a, a world champion? Who would it be? Uh, Louis Edmondson for sure. Unbelievable amateur. Um, beat some elite amateurs. 
and was a part of the GB squad. You have to be a great fighter to get on there anyway. And um, very good, very good boxing brain. He almost reminded me of Billy Joe Saunders in a way, where he would always find a way to win. Very tricky. Um, unbelievable jab. He's got a great setup around him. Good mindset. Trains very hard. So I'd go him. But also, it's not always just about how good you are. As much as he is very good as well. He's just got, he's so determined. And he won't ever, like, he always wants to learn something new. He always, and that's what you got to have. Some people know they're very talented. And they almost just depend on that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you, you've seen many times before, hard work always beats talent at the end of the day. You can't just depend on it. Whereas you'll get caught out, especially as you step it up through the levels. So, yeah. For sure. Definitely. Um, and just seeing if I thought I had, thought there was another question, but I, uh, I cannot find it. But uh, yeah, like, it must be an exciting, well, it's, it's weird at the moment, as we discussed with the lockdown and everything. But it's got to be an exciting time generally, you know, for S-Jam, looking at the, the future with some of these guys. Like, um, so, sorry, give me, a, give me a list of some of the guys um, which you've got under S-Jam. So we know we've got Cody Davis, you've got Joe Joyce, you've got uh, Lewis Edmondson. Um, tell us some of the other, uh, the other fighters which you've got up there. So we have Lerone Richards. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, that was the other one. British and Commonwealth Super Middleweight Champion, WBO International as well. Former WBO European, but he vacated it. Um, very, very good. Big fight coming for him soon. We've just signed a six foot five Southpaw um, Super Middleweight, believe it or not. John mm-hmm. um, Hedges. What? Super Middleweight? Yeah, Super six Middleweight. Yeah, yeah no, nah, it's just the way his physique is, honestly. Like he is, yeah. He doesn't have to drain himself at weight or anything. He makes it very comfortably, yeah. What was his name again, sorry? John Hedges, he's only 18, so he won't be at Superman for long. When your body goes more into a man, obviously he'll fill out a bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. The John Hedges, um, which is uh, quite crazy. He made a weight. Our he- other heavyweight, 6 0, all fights, all wins by first round KO. Um, Guido Vanello, he's one signed by Top Rank and ESPN. Um, very, very good fighter. Represented Italy in the Olympics as well. All right, okay, wow, that's cool. Yeah, very good fighter. Um, we are also... I try not to forget anyone here. Um, <laughs> Put you on the spot, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for now, that is it. But I believe we are very close to making two really big signings in the next couple of weeks as well. So. Yeah, so do you feel like... I think like, that is it. it is. Um, so S-Jam, obviously, like you say, has been around now a year or two. Um, and it's clearly growing all the time because you can see that by the list of fighters which are associated with it what's the where would you like you personally I know there's other people involved as well as you but like for you on a personal level where would you like to see it in five years time um so we formed a partnership with another management company called MTK and they will always be the biggest in the world because they They've decided to dominate the whole sport, whereas... That's MTK our Global, is, isn't it? Uh, Sorry. Is that yeah, MTK yeah, Global? Yeah, they, they, they almost control the sport in ways like where they've got so many fighters. And in a, in a good way, they're good way. They do great things as a sport, absolutely. And um, we have chose to pick more quality over quantity, shall I say. Like, where we're going to... We're never really going to sign more than 15 to maybe 18 fighters. Okay. We want to, we have to give that man-to-man management, really. Yeah. So, and it's harder to obviously do that when you've got maybe 150 fighters and stuff cool. like to, to do all that stuff for. And we never really want our team to be too big uh, either. So, I would just like to have um, world champions, obviously, in multiple weights. And do you know what it is? It's not even always about that. 
is having a fighter say that they can fully trust you and just rely on you and everything is and say that you gave them everything. At the end of the day, as long as they believe and trust in me that I'm doing everything that I should be doing and that I am doing what I said I would give them before they sign, then that's enough for me. And as long as they give it their all, because sometimes fighters are just capable of different things. Sometimes weight divisions are harder at times than it, than it is for others, other times. So as long as they just believe that they gave their all and that we did their all for them and we fulfilled what we, we promised them, then I'm going to be more than happy. And that's all I want throughout my career, really. But obviously... I do want to be a part of big nights. I do want world champions. I do want to have to travel on away territory and win titles and, and whatnot and see the glory and the glitz and glamour of the sport. Um, obviously, it helps financially as well. But I mean, I, like being a massive boxing fan, I want to win the big titles. I want to see Joe Joyce lift the world heavyweight title and, and, um, and stuff like that. That's what you're in the sport for at the end of the day, the big nights. No one wants to be a part of the small hall shows and stuff all the time not that I really ever am I've been quite lucky I dropped almost straight into big shows straight away but um, but yeah I want to be a part of the big nights and part of the biggest nights there are and where I, I hold a key role in them as well yeah definitely mate I could do it's what it's all about is um, is those big nights and growing and building towards those those big moments um, a friend of mine Ted said today like um Dreams last, but uh, memories last forever. And when yeah. you're on, when you're on a journey, like you said earlier, um, like what you're doing doesn't feel like work to you because you enjoy it so much. You're not, <clears throat> you're not like counting down the hours till when your shift is over or when your work day is over yeah. because you just love it. And like I've been doing this now just over a just over a year. Yeah, and I built it literally from nothing to something where I've got people interested, whether it's be sponsorship and, and representing me and, and things like this. Um, and like, I take so much joy from that. Like just that I was able to take a gamble on myself. I had this idea of what I wanted to do and I just gambled on myself. Like, and now it's starting to gain traction. It's going into somewhere where, yeah, I probably didn't expect it to, to get there. It was more of a hobby, but it yeah. is what it is. But like, it doesn't feel like, even though hopefully um, it's going to pay off, uh, certainly looks like it's going to, um, it doesn't feel like like hard work or like like doing stuff, even though I put a lot of work into it. Um, behind it, the scenes. Put a lot of work into it because you enjoy it as well, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not like it's a construction company that maybe someone's dad did and now it's been left to you and you've got loads of hard work and you don't really want to do it. It's, it's a lot easier to put hard work into something that you love because yeah. it's almost like it, you don't, you just naturally do work hard because you love it. It's not like it's hard work because you've got to and or whatnot. It's because you love it. You just naturally do it without even really realizing that you're working hard. But there's sometimes I'll do like the most ridiculous things where I'd go away for ages working. People are like, you just feel like you need to take a break, like you're working too hard. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. I want to do more, actually. Yeah. I want to do more. But it is, I'm assuming that's the same for yourself. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, I think I'm annoying um, Andy, who does the football show with me, because I'm like constantly like texting him, oh, I got this idea, or, I got this idea, or should we get this person on, or how can we get hold of this person? And I think he must be getting fed up with it, because my yeah. brain is constantly like, and like for me, like, um, I had like a, I had a car accident in 2008, which meant I had to have spinal surgery, and I had I've got a lot of like physical health problems. Um, so a lot of the stuff with well, pretty much everything which I do, 
I have to do around my health, but also I do it because I do it from my house. That helps. But, yeah. but like for a long time, from like 2008 till 2013, when I had my surgery, um, like my mental health was a mess. And like, if it wasn't for my missus, I probably still wouldn't be here. Yeah. But since 2013, I had surgery. Then I started this like about a year or so ago. And I started it to help with my mental health to get me back to like feeling like I was worth something. That yeah, was like just keeping your mind occupied and stuff. And that's yeah. what it is. You've got to keep yourself at something and keep yourself occupied and, and make you feel worthwhile kind of thing. And it's a lot easier to do it with something you love. Like now you're doing it with some people that you would like look up to and whatnot and, and uh, international football players and fighters and stuff. And it's just about keeping yourself active and, and looking after yourself in that way. Because if your mind's active and it's distracting you from maybe the negative things that were going on in your life as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, mate. Like, and what I said to my wife yesterday, like, my mind was going a million miles an hour. I had all this stuff going in my head, but I said to her, like, like for the first time in probably years, probably since like my father died when I was sixteen, so you know, talking twenty five years or something, like, it was all positive stuff and possibilities and ideas of, oh, we could build this and we can do this and then we can do this for a series or we could get so-and-so involved and it was refreshing but like I say like my missus will say to me a lot like you know you need to take a break you need to have some time off you need to you know spend some time with me let's do something but like it doesn't feel like I've put in loads of hours but I have like whether it's editing or you know promoting or recording whatever it may be but it's like because you love it it doesn't doesn't feel like it of course, hundred percent, and that's the thing as well. And it's just about—it's all about being around a positive energy, really. It's more like you'll give yourself more purpose because you're doing that. So it's almost like where before, where you said where you had you got your injuries and stuff, and you're not able to do maybe some things that others can because of you've got a evolve around your health, obviously. And but then you give yourself purpose by doing something that is um, keeping you busy, something that you love, and um, something that is uh, helps other people in that as well. So. I think because you don't know what some of the people that are listening may be going through and stuff as well. It might help them um, go help get through what they're struggling with. They might have gone through similar things or have their own problems in life as well. And it might inspire them to start saying their own might change their life and all. So, so that's just the way it all kind of works really, which is good because you never know who's listening or in what way it can help them because they might have had similar issues or other problems themselves. Yeah, do you know, like I, we do shows on mental health and we've got a couple, like I do it one series where we focus on a different mental health condition and I'll speak to like a, a doctor or a, or um, like someone who suffers with that condition. So we, I did one on DID and we had a, lady, uh, a person on who had DID and she like explained about what it's like to live with it and all this sort of stuff. Um, and we done like bipolar and, and schizophrenia. I had someone who suffers with schizophrenia. Um, and even of all like the celebrities, if you like, or the top sportsmen that I've had on the podcast, the shows that I get the most messages about are the ones which we did on the different mental health conditions and the mental health in sport series, because it's people who are saying, Oh, I've nobody knows this, or no one realizes. But I'm suffer. I've been really struggling lately. Thank you for talking about it. Or I've got bipolar, and I've been struggling a bit. I watched your show, and yeah. 
it really gave me a lift because I, I realized that I'm not the only one going through it and just little things like that. And like, I still, to this day, you know, a lot some of the mental health shows were quite early in the series I was doing. Um, so I didn't have as many followers as I've, what I've got now, but I still get had more messages for those, if that makes sense, like private messages. Um, and like, I mean, it's because like, it's so relatable though, isn't it? It's so relatable. Like that yeah. relates to everyone. I think everyone at some point in their life will probably go through some kind of mental health. And that, that could be a broad range. People, when they hear my mental health, they usually just think depression. But mental health can mean such a broad thing. Like such a broad yeah. uh, term, which you say. And um, it can mean so many different things. And it's just so relatable to people. Because more now than ever, people are starting to talk about it more and come out more about it, which is great, obviously. It's a really good thing. And um, yes, it's so relatable. So it will affect, like, many people might not be able to relate to a guy that did this sport or did that sport or did this sport. Mental health, no matter if you're whatever you are, it will always affect, or whatever you like to do, it can affect you in any kind of way. Yeah, whether yes. you're an adult, you're an old person, whether you're young or whatnot. Yeah, everyone's been affected by it at some point, haven't they? Um, Shane, thank you for joining me, mate. I really appreciate it. I've had a really, I've really enjoyed it. It's been uh, it's flown by. Um, if you um, if you ever want to come back on, you are more than welcome. I'd love to get you back on. You know, whenever, whenever you want. If you want to come on in a week, if you want to come in, in a month, whatever. But um, also, if you want to join me and Danny one week when there's like a boxing event on and break it down with us. I'm always happy to have an extra, an extra, uh, extra opinion. And of course, like, obviously, like I explained, Danny's sort of forte is more MMA, but, um, you know, he knows, and that, you know, he knows enough about striking and combat sports to be able to provide boxing analysis. But, um, yeah, if you want to come and join us and give us a boxing kind of point of view of that, you are always welcome. Um, Sim. Tell uh, tell the people where they can find you on social media. So on Instagram at Shane Watson um, Sham is my Instagram account. My Twitter account is at Shane Watson ninety five, and Facebook I'm just Shane Watson. So not too hard to find. Yeah, all boxing updates and stuff going. Then what's going on with the team and that. And it's not just that. It's usually about boxing news as a whole, really. Because like I said, I'm still a journalist as well. We'll so still report stuff and do stuff like that. Yeah. Sweet. And uh, guys, you can find us at facebook.com slash acecastnation on our quest. We're, we're nearly up to our, our initial target, which was to hit 10,000 followers. I think we're on about 9,000 and something. Um, so that's the quest. We're getting there slowly. Uh, subscribe to youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. And uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at acecast underscore nation. Uh, at the moment, the best way to support us is you know follow on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. But uh, you can watch all the shows, video or audio, at uh, the links which I will provide below. Shane, it's been a pleasure, mate. I really appreciate it, and I've had a, I've had a real good good time. Yeah, thanks. Me too, man. And thanks for having me on. And um, hope everyone stays well during these hard times, including yourself. And uh, keep pushing because the better days are coming ahead. And combat sports is coming back. So it's yes, great. <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's what it's thanks. all about. Cheers, guys. We'll see you, uh, see you for the next episode. Sports Social Podcast Network.